Lucas on Life. Hello and welcome to Lucas on Life. And what a week it's been. The news has been dominated by petrol, or rather the lack of it. That's caused loads of frustration with countless trips cancelled and anger boiling over. Just last Tuesday, we heard the news that one man attacked a queue jumper at a petrol station with a knife. And then there's been a fair amount of political name-calling and rancour in the Westminster village, with the news reporting that Angela Rayner apparently made a late-night attack at an event for Labour members, using all kinds of names to describe Boris Johnson and his cabinet. And then over here in Colorado, people are noticing a new epidemic that's broken out. And that's what I want to focus on tonight. The epidemic is a lack of kindness. Everyone's noticing that people are sharper, less willing to give way when they're driving. That people are shouting at those who check them out at supermarkets. Restaurants are suffering because servers are being yelled out with people walking out without paying because they're angry. Surely the pandemic has created a culture that's in a pressure cooker. And the first casualty of that has been kindness because suddenly we're short-tempered, angry, frustrated. In fact, at Timberline Church, where I'm based, we're launching a kindness initiative, giving people packs of cards to hand out to those that serve, thanking them for all they're doing, saying, we're grateful for you. So tonight on Lucas on Life, that's our theme. It's one we've looked at before, but perhaps we should focus on it more often. We're talking kindness. When Ken showed up at our church, he caused quite a stir. Some of our congregation, concerned about their safety, called upon the Lord with a whispered prayer for protection. Others, preferring more temporal security, considered calling the police. We don't normally treat visitors with such suspicion, but Ken, he was the ultimate portrait of menace. Dressed totally in black with his arms and face covered in some pretty interesting tattoos, his studied trench coat made him look like a vampire, and some of our congregation weren't that keen on giving blood. His rage was further confirmed by his tattooed knuckles. On both hands, four-letter words were scrawled as an abusive greeting. That had been Ken's lifelong message. Abusive greetings. An angry drug abuser who had spent more than half of his life in jail, he was notorious in the community, his face permanently twisted into a snarl. He only came to the church service because someone dared him to attend. You're so horrible, you should try a church, they'd said. Hardly a warm evangelistic strategy, but apparently it worked. He showed up. Ken sat at the back, absolutely determined to be unmoved, and later confessed that in his living memory, he had never, ever cried. Who knows what horrible childhood traumas had smitten his tear ducts with a lifelong drought. That's when little Marge Sample showed up. Silver-haired, elderly, and with a smile that could light up a room, diminutive Marge was on duty as a member of our welcome team that morning. She boldly strolled over to where Ken was sitting, his arms folded defiantly. Hello, she chirped. I'm Marge. I don't believe we've met. She rested her hand lightly on his studied shoulder. Marge was somewhat taken aback by Ken's immediate violent response. Burying his face in his hands, he suddenly exploded into loud wailing. This was no penitent whimper. He howled. 
heads turned nervously. Ken sobbed his way into the kingdom of God that day. The emotional dam bust was triggered quite simply because for the first time in a very long time, someone had been pleased to see him. It was a simple gesture of welcoming kindness that unlocked a man who had been imprisoned by hate for decades. Ken started to attend our church and his enthusiasm in worship initially caused a few raised eyebrows. When he raised his hands in praise, people three rows back got a rather unexpected message from those lifted knuckles with the swear words tattooed on them. So eventually, Ken decided to have those words removed by laser surgery. A doctor in our church volunteered his time and we took up an offering to cover other hospitalization costs. Standing in the baptismal tank with his hands still encased in post-operation plastic bags, he thanked the congregation. His face beaming, he held up those hands. Now the outside matches the inside, he said. I'm clean. Ken's life was totally transformed and his conversion stuck. Sometimes it doesn't take a lot to change everything. Marge passed away just recently, her sparkling eyes now just a memory, at least for the time being. But she's living proof that small acts of kindness can trigger revolution. We can change the world with kindness. And who knows, perhaps for Marge, when she found herself in the presence of a heavenly welcoming committee, another someone with his hands wounded, not by hate, but by love, stepped forward with a smile. Kindness. Christians don't arm themselves with crowbars, at least not usually. But on a crisp autumnal day, a lady, a female truck driver, marched into our local museum and began smashing the glass that surrounded a painting by an artist, Enrique Chagoya. This irate lady yelled, how can you desecrate my Lord, as she tore into the painting. Within minutes, she was arrested and was photographed wearing a T-shirt emblazoned with a caption, my saviour is tougher than nails. The painting targeted for the attack caused national controversy here in the USA. Fox News gave extensive coverage to the reactions from some local Christians who were incensed about what they saw as a blasphemous pornographic work. And the image was certainly unsettling. Two men, one of them looking Christ-like, were engaged in a sexual act. Placard-waving protesters had gathered outside the museum. The artist was barraged by hundreds of vitriolic emails from outraged Christians, some of which, incredibly, included death threats. Stanford University, where he was based, was forced to hire security to protect the beleaguered artist, and the internet was rife with Christians tagging the artist as a blasphemous jerk, together with plenty of other names. And then, a local pastor here in our city, Jonathan Wiggins, received an email from one of his congregation demanding that he add his voice to the protests. He sprung into action. After prayer, Wiggins decided to take another riskier route. He emailed Chagoya with a warm message that can be summarized like this, tell me more. I told him that I didn't want to debate him, but just hear him, said Pastor Wiggins, who leads a large growing congregation in the city. I let him know that whatever his response, we as a church would be praying for him to be blessed every day of his life. It was an act of kindness. 
A remarkable series of email exchanges between the two followed. In what was to become a developing friendship, the artist explained that the character portrayed in the work was not Jesus at all, but was an iconic portrayal of the church. His painting was a response to the outrage of the Catholic paedophile scandals, in which, as he put it, the spiritual has been corrupted. Something so precious got corrupted. If the task of an artist is to confront us with the reality of the way things are, Chagoya was being faithful to his calling. The conversation continued with honesty, warmth and, yes, kindness, and the two became friends. And when Pastor Wiggins shared the email dialogue with his church with permission from Chagoya, he received a standing ovation from the congregation. Knowing that he was walking into risky territory because of the strong feelings about the painting, Pastor Wiggins had been accountable and had previously discussed his dialogue with the deacons of the church, who with tears insisted that yes, he was doing the right thing. Wiggins was relieved and grateful for their wholehearted support. They said, this is what Jesus would do. Go for it. The story speaks to us when we're tempted to react rather than respond. We rush to a rant rather than reaching out for dialogue, leaping to judgment rather than pausing to listen and understand, we damn others without dialogue. And then, when we feel that others are being spiteful, we often respond with spite. But the pastor's example shows us that everyone has a story. That doesn't necessarily legitimize what they do or how they behave, but as we listen and offer unexpected friendship, we may come to understand why they feel as they do. The softly spoken inquiry, tell me more, can be an invitation that can win over rather than alienate. The crowbar swinging lady later explained that she'd been incensed by the painting. She was ordered to pay a large fine and sentenced to probation. Later, she set up a website explaining her actions that day. In a later statement to his congregation, the pastor clarified his motives for reaching out to Chagoya. Of course, as a Christian, I'd love to see him come to Christ, but whatever his response is, I'll be proud and honoured to have him as a friend for the rest of my life. And Wiggins then invited the artist to create another painting, one that actually portrayed Jesus and did so in a way that captures the beauty of his love. Chagoya asked the minister to offer some advice about how he should paint Jesus and then later wrote, I see him in the beautiful descriptions of Christ that you sent me. A stunning portrait now hangs in the church building, a gift to the church from the artist. A lifelong friendship has been forged, again, by kindness, and an artist has discovered a new vision, not only of Jesus, but also of his church. And a congregation has learned to demonstrate resilient love, a love that, yes, is truly tougher than nails. Thank God for gracious Pastor Wiggins. We've been talking about kindness, anger and frustration at petrol stations. Once on my travels, I almost got into a fight. And I'm not talking about a war of words. I met a thoroughly unpleasant chap who was living out the very opposite of kindness. And I confess, it almost came to blows, which, let's face it, wouldn't have been that kind on my part. I know, it's a bit odd for a Christian minister to confess that he came close to a punch-up, and as soon as it happened, I knew I had to share the experience. But before I talk about it, let me issue a health warning. I'm about to introduce you to a real-life nasty piece of work. Kay and I were in Chicago airport waiting for our flight, and the departure lounge was packed. 
the atmosphere dank with the mild despair that descends when multiple flights are delayed due to the weather. Everyone hopefully and occasionally hopelessly stared at the departure boards. Peckish, we entered a teeming restaurant and found the last two chairs at a shared table. Across from us, a very expensive-looking bag, all fur and leather, occupied one remaining seat. We assumed it belonged to a man who sat next to it, but we were wrong. An older lady came by and inquired about the bag. Is this sure? she asked us ever so sweetly. Nobody around the table claimed ownership. It was then that the winner of the Rudest Man of My Lifetime Award made himself known. He was young, handsome and dressed in designer clothing with flashy jewellery. Sitting up at a bar just across from the table, he barked, That's my bag. I don't want it on the floor, so leave it alone. When I finish my meal, I'll move it. Mouths opened around the table, aghast at the suggestion that this elderly lady be made to stand while this posh but inanimate object occupied the only available chair. This was absurd, rude, crass, unkind. And so I decided to take action, and perhaps a little louder than necessary, invited the lady to take my chair. She sat down, then smiled and whispered, perhaps you could teach him a lesson. Somewhat emboldened by her encouragement, I walked over and gently tapped Mr. Rude on the shoulder. Excuse me, sir, but have I understood you? You want that lovely lady to stand and wait while you eat because your luggage is that important. I confess I felt just a little bit heroic in that moment. He glared back at me, his deep blue eyes cold, and then he snapped back, his thin lips tight. Now look here. It seems that you're the gentleman and you gave her your seat, so it's good. Yes? That's when I knew we were at the point of no return. His icy stare made his message clear. Just say one more word and I'm going to hit you. I decided not to say one more word for a number of reasons. A. I'm allergic to pain. B. It's awkward when ministers get into a fight in an airport and then are arrested. And C. I felt like my job had been done. Call me a coward if you like and you may well be right. Back at the table, we chatted happily with the older lady. Eventually, young bag-obsessed Blue Eyes stopped by to pick up his priceless luggage, and with a rude parting shot, he headed out to catch his flight. I spent the rest of the day internally fuming about his staggering gift of arrogance. Our flight was delayed further, so I wandered around the airport, hoping to see him to pursue our chat a little. Providentially, I didn't find him it most likely wouldn't have been helpful. Obviously, that rude man's attitude was somewhat extreme, but I wonder how often I'm just like him. In that moment, he failed to see a person, the lady who needed a chair, and we can do the same thing, especially if we deal with people a lot. The busy doctor in the casualty ward is told that there's a broken arm in cubicle six, rather than recently widowed Mr. Jones, who's had a nasty fall and the shop assistant yawns, indifferent to the customer who has just become another commodity. The pastor looks out over the congregation, seeing a crowd, recording Sunday morning attendance numbers and offering figures, not noticing real flesh-and-blood people with hopes, dreams, needs and heartaches. The hunched figure wrapped in a thin sleeping bag in a doorway becomes a homeless statistic rather than a person with a name and a story. The great Jewish theologian Martin Buber 
spoke of our dangerous temptation to treat people as objects rather than subjects. And so all around us today are people, unique, needy, hopeful, hopeless, fascinating people. So let's notice them and let's be kind. See you next time. Lucas on Life.